0: Welcome to Thrive Deeper, an ongoing conversation with Dr. Matthew Jacoby, author of the Thrive Bible Reading Guides, teaching pastor, and leader of the Psalmist Band, Sons of Korah. Join us as we go deeper into the Bible, discussing the passages as we read them together with Thrive. Now, here's your host, DJ Payne.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 23 ...of Thrive Deeper. Guys, we are back on schedule. This is a normal Friday release and we'll be back to our normal weekly release every Friday... ...talking about the readings that we've just done over the week... Every Friday. That's the plan, at least. Let's hope we can continue that for the foreseeable future. Uh, now, uh, this week we've got some very special stuff for you. Uh, we, we get into Ezra, the first six chapters, the first part of this book of Ezra, going back into the Old Testament. In our new daily reading guide. Uh, but before that, there's something quite special on today's episode that I wanted to highlight for you. Uh, at the beginning of this recording, um, when Matthew and I sat down to do it, we ended up going down a few rabbit holes. One in particular that we actually spent some time talking about was the concept of Halloween. I know it's got nothing to do with the daily reading, but it was a very interesting conversation. So, in light of that, at the end, end of this discussion I've put it at the end of this episode a quite candid discussion of some of the thoughts we had around that and you'll hear why we get into it but I didn't want to include it into the main body of it so after the break you're going to hear us get into a question about Philemon and then on to Ezra and then after that a special bonus at the end all right this has been DJ Payne we'll be back just after this break I think we're good. I think that is good.
2: Is the race on at the moment?
1: Oh, you you are asking the person who has no idea. Recording this on the uh, Melbourne Cup Tuesday, first Tuesday of November, Melbourne Cup. Right. Australia's you, biggest horse race. And and you are not you are not you are not interested. Are, are you? No,
2: I'm not really. Really? Oh, I mean. Um.
1: Part of me would like to be. <laughs>
2: I like the ideas of. I like the idea of. I'm hundred percent not not interested. I would know uh,
1: nothing about I, it. I
2: mean, not into all the, um, uh, you know, putting money on a horse and and uh, putting on fancy clothes and going out to the track. I've never been interested in that. But uh, as oh. a as a thing, as, you know, horse racing. There's something. About that, though.
1: Uh, I like. Why, what could you put? Po- oh, no, uh, they're
2: beautiful creatures. I mean, they're I, amazing. F- I agree. Amazing, these horses. You know? Beautiful. I agree. I mean, that's what I, I, I can appreciate that. Okay. We have a bit of horse. We've got a bit of horse. Um, horse meat? Horse racing. In the- <laughs> no, no. We've got some. We, we. My grandmother's family used to own
1: oh. uh, race horses and race them. Yeah, so. Okay, you got you. So you yeah, do have that know. interest in there? On to Ezra. Yeah, on to well, Christian soldiers. <laughs> well, actually, actually, before we get into the book of Ezra, uh, we've got a one leftover question. Yeah, about, that's fine. Uh, that's
2: always good. That's uh, always fine. All right, so let's yeah. start
1: off. Let's start off the uh, the episode with uh, we we finished off talking about um, you know the last couple of letters from Paul. You know, we talked about Titus. Philemon and wrapping up those um, you know those pastoral and, and, and personal epistles uh, letters that he sent out there and Philemon um, you know we really hammered down on, on Philemon what are, like only 25 verses one yep. little chapter yep. but what an amazing book you know what an amazing book uh, you even chose to preach on it yeah, uh, you know, Sunday. Yeah, on, yeah, on, right, on yeah. Sunday on this past Sunday and uh, the response has been very interesting people are you know going oh I didn't really think about this book mm. really much at all Um and we've had a we've had a question uh, about uh, this book and this is a typical question we get about the character of paul the person mm. of the apostle paul yep. and someone has written in the wonderful uh, the wonderful chris here has uh, has written in and he's he's asked a question about the sense of paul being a bit manipulative mm. in the book of philemon yep. talking about anesimus and that yeah. Using language like, I could be bold and order you to do something, yet uh, I'm going to leave it to you to do it out of love. Uh, you know, you owe me everything, your very life to me, but, you know, I'm not going to call you on that. Uh, if he's done any wrong to you, charge it to me and I'll pay it back. Uh, I'll write to you knowing that you'll do even more than I'm asking. And some people read those type of passages and think, is he just being a really manipulative, horrible person?
2: Um. <clears throat> It's a good question, because it certainly sounds like that.
1: Um, but... Uh, and here's a side question. Yeah. I read those verses, and I think he sounds awesome. Does that make me a horrible, awful, manipulative verse? Well, 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 let's assume it does. <laughs> uh, the, the, the The point...
2: Um, what we've got to remember, this, this is... A, it's a very personal-sounding letter. Yeah. Um, but it's addressed to the whole church because he says uh, you know to Philemon and then uh, at the end of verse 2 and to the church that meets in your home now why is that important that's important because Paul is putting this forward mm. this letter as an example of the implementation of a new way of living yes this is a, a, the and the, the imagery that i used when i spoke of, uh, on this on sunday and and that that uh, our my sermons are available uh, online as well. Uh, you can just Google my name. Uh, I encourage you to have a listen to that if you can. But the, the, the Im- imagery I use is that of an operating system. This is a new operating system. Paul is talking a lot about uh, this kind of new kingdom realm, this kingdom operating system, that we're part of something new. And, and there's a whole new way of doing things now. Uh, you know, And uh, relationships are completely redefined mm-hmm. everything's redefined in the, in god's kingdom it's it's uh, and what's happening in this letter is that he's this is not just a personal letter to Philemon it's a letter that he puts forward to the whole church as an example of this new operating system being implemented right mm. and that new operating system has a lot to do with even uh with leadership or um uh, in terms of what it means for one person to have authority over another. Now, this is very relevant to Philemon because Philemon is the slave owner of Onesimus, who's mm. the slave, right? Mm. And so there's an issue of, well, he owns this guy and he's his boss. and and But Paul wants to say, no, no, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, this will become clear how this answers the question in a moment. Yeah. So what he's basically want, wanting to implement is the... Galatians chapter three principle, you know, there, there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, uh, male or female. We're all one in one in Christ. And he says uh, he wants Philema to rec- receive Onesimus as a brother, as a brother, as an equal. Um, to put behind the old way of seeing things, w- in which the slave is has no status at all, at all, barely even considered human. Mm. Um, Uh, So he wants to redefine that relationship, to flatten that relationship. Now, what Paul is doing in the way that he's writing this letter, he himself is demonstrating that approach, which is why he makes such a point of saying, look, you know, I could order you to do this, right, but I'm not going to do that uh, because uh, because I want this to come from your heart. Mm. And this is he he here is making explicit i know it sounds like manipulation but it's actually a teaching moment mm-hmm. where he's saying this is how things work now right I, i'm th- this i am demonstrating this a new kind of leadership in which i'm not going to force you to do something but i'm going to point you toward w- w- what is right and i'm going to p- appeal to you in love and look for something that comes from the heart
0: mm-hmm.
2: That really is why he makes such a big point of what otherwise sounds manipulative. Yeah. Hey, look, I could force you, but hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to – well, well uh, it's, he, he's really making uh, a very important teaching point hmm. uh, and he's drawing attention to the fact that he, as the leader of the church, is um, implementing this new way of doing things in okay. which in which we, we we don't, as Jesus says, you know, um, we don't lord it over each other mm. as the Gentiles do. Mm. Um, uh, I think it's in Mark 9, um, Mark 10 maybe. Um, so that's what's going on there.
1: Okay. So the, the the challenge for you to when you're reading Philemon is to take out the passive-aggressive tone yeah. that might be in your own head yeah. and say actually he's trying to teach – you know, imagine if you're speaking to someone whos not who hasn't gotten these concepts before, yeah. is used to a leader saying, this is what you do, do go do it. Yeah. How would you respond in that situation? How would you write it if yeah. he was Paul? You'd probably end up writing it the same way. Yeah, that's right. You know? So,
2: so it's actually very countercultural, the way that he, he uh, speaks to someone who is – in a sense, under his authority, and, and, and Philemon would have understood that, you know, would mm. have really looked up to Paul. And the way that, that those kind of relationships in a worldly sense worked in a very authoritarian manner, I mean, that's the way that it was. There wasn't any other kind of mm. leadership in the ancient world. Paul actually is being very um, countercultural here, but he's mm. also drawing attention to it uh, yeah. because he wants to model to Philemon how he wants Philemon to deal with those under his authority.
1: It's almost like an overlap of two cultures. Yes, yeah, that's right. He's saying, look, this is the old way, but yeah, I'm, I'm expecting right. the new way. Yeah, that's and right. And in the new way, you go beyond what I ask you yeah. to do. You do it out of love, you do it yeah, out of fear. Right. Okay. I-
2: I mean, that's, you know, Philema is the last book that we read in the New Testament. And the way that Thrive, uh, the Thrive Bible Reading Guide works is that we do uh, one New Testament edition of the Thrive booklet and then we do two uh, Old Testaments. So we get that back and forth movement. So we go back uh, to pick up where we left off because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about Ezekiel and Daniel and that exilic. Literature literature that came out of the exile, and we introduced this in the last episode, talked a little bit about the exile and the
1: return, and uh, that brings us to the Book of Ezra. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. So this past week, we've gotten into the first first story. There's basically you know, in that concept of Ezra and Nehemiah being one collective works about this time of them coming out of the, you know, the exile's return, mm. we have three sort of big three acts and they are three parts of the return. The first, two of them are in Ezra and one of them being Nehemiah. Yeah, And the two in Ezra are Zerubbabel, yeah. then Ezra, Yeah, and then Nehemiah. They're yeah. the three big returns. That we read yeah, in those yeah. in those two books. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this past week we've been looking at the return of Zerubbabel.
2: Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, Zerubbabel does return. Actually, the the one that's leading um, the return. So just to go back, yes. let's just go back a step Great. to recap. Great. Um, so 539 BC, the um, uh, the Persians are, are, who have already been chopping off bits of the Babylonian Empire conquer the capital. So they've mm-hmm. got. Uh, now the Persians have overrun the Babylonians; Babylonian Empire ceases to really be as a as a force. So uh, Cyrus um, marches into uh, Babylon. His policies. Cyrus is a much more benevolent um, dictator. He's still, a, <laughs> he's still a dictator. They can uh, they, 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 it, they,
1: they do, they, I know we laugh at that, but there has been some
2: benevolence. Right. Um, he uh, he has a different op- uh, policy and. Um, his policy is to allow the the people groups that, that are part of his empire because he conquered all different areas, um, you know, from Egypt right up through Palestine, the the Hittites, the right over to the uh, to the east. So he allows nations to um, observe their own re- religions. He gives them sort of cultural autonomy, I guess. Mm-hmm. They can do what they want to do. Now, part of that is that he then allows the Jewish people to. A return now the question is uh, and no one's asked this question but this is a good question that you perhaps <laughs> you should have asked <laughs> is why does he even take note of a relatively small people group uh, mm-hmm. in his midst uh, what, what what why take any notice of, of this this Jewish people okay and the answer is for a couple of reasons first of all uh, they did continue to exist as a very distinct people group like they were notably distinct mm-hmm so much so that they they can distinguish themselves from other people right through this point. So the the tactic of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, which was to draw uh, a people, the the leading people into Babylon, take them into captivity, not put them in prison and mistreat them, but settle them there so that they would assimilate and become Babylonians. That was uh, sort of cultural. They were looking for sort of cultural homogeny. Uh, there, but that didn't work with the Jewish people. No, uh, they wouldn't assimilate. Assimilate. They held on to their beliefs. That's the first reason. The second reason was that um, God blessed them, and uh, and th- there, were a number of them in leading positions. Uh, at least some we know, like uh, Sh- Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and of course. Mr. Daniel, yes. uh, who, who is who was well known to mm, us, mm. Uh, leading positions uh, in the empire. Mm. So they certainly would have drawn his attention to the Jewish people. and he issues an edict uh, that allows in uh, 538 BC, uh, which was very much in accordance with the, his uh, policy that the Jews can go back and they can rebuild the temple and offer sacrifices and pray for him.
1: Now a couple of little points here that we have to have to make is that that is 70 years to the dot. From yeah. the first, you know, the first, yeah, that's right. you know, when Jeremiah said, you're going to be in 70 years, it, it's, it's to the, you know, to the year. Yeah.
2: There. Well, by the time they get back and make their mark and lay the foundation of the, of the temple, uh, that's, uh, that's 535. Hmm. Um, and that is 70 years yeah. on the dot. Yeah from the time that Daniel went into exile.
1: And it's also important when we, we read these books and we sort of keep them separated and we don't sort of see a lot of crossovers sometimes, but it's important, like you said, Daniel would have been living as an old man, you know, waving goodbye to, yeah. to Zerubbabel and Ezra and all of those guys saying, you know, go. You know, yeah. like he, he he didn't go himself, but he was there yeah, that's right. helping yeah. them to go.
2: That's right. And and he, he was the one that looked at the prophecy of Jeremiah and it was the prophet Jeremiah who... Um, Prophesied that the exile would be seventy years. Yeah. Um, uh, enormously significant. It would be seventy years. It would be like uh, the, a sabbatical for the yeah. land, as yeah. it were. Yeah. Uh, and look, it's just remarkable. It really is remarkable. Yeah. And not
1: only that, you've got the prophet. You've got the prophet of Isaiah years before that saying yeah. that Cyrus, King Cyrus, will be my mouthpiece. One yeah, day. That, yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah, God saying that I'm
2: going to use this guy. That's right. Uh, unless, unless, of course, um, we we uh, talk about as some people do, uh, there being a later prophet who writes in the Isaiah tradition. Yeah. Because the second part of Isaiah, I mean, we're getting down a rabbit <laughs> hole here, but the second part of Isaiah is clearly written with the exile as a past event. Yes. Now, Certainly, Isaiah could have done that. The yep. original Isaiah could have done that as a prophet. Um, but that has certainly caused some to say that there's an Isianic tradition of yes. prophecy here that okay. is, is continuing in the exile. Anyway, let's leave that one behind. <laughs> uh, that's just an option there. Um, so um, so they actually go back under... Uh, it's actually a guy, a guy called Shesh Bazaar who is appointed governor. I mean... The, the title that he's given is a little ambiguous. We're not sure exactly what it's mean, what yes. it means, but he's put in charge, and he is um, a member of the royal household. And he's actually Zer- Zerubbabel's uncle. Okay. So, so it's actually he's the one that, and, and Zerubbabel goes back with them, uh, but he initially is the one that's put in charge. And somewhere along the line, uh, he we don't really know what happens to him, but Zerubbabel. Takes over, yeah, and and I think somewhere in the midst of the temple building, the temple. So in in one source, um, it says talks about uh, Sheshbazzar uh, building the temple, built the temple, yes. and then elsewhere it says, but Zerubbabel built the temple, and you've got scholars saying, well, what's going on here? Well, it's probably a matter of that they they kind of both did one started it and the yeah. other one finished it.
1: They're definitely two different people. They're not different names for one, the same. One suggestion is yeah.
2: that um, is that their alternate names for the same
1: person same as what we got the babylonian names for daniel and shadrach but you know that, that type of thing. yeah yeah possibly possibly
2: <laughs> i think look, look I, I mean the, the most um uh, the idea that one began and the other finished it off that's yeah i think the most popular because it took them uh, a while
1: option it, it, it took them a while to get the yeah the,
2: it, the temple built it certainly did mm. so um so what happens is they they begin building they they lay the foundation Uh, uh, Actually, no. The first thing that they do is they build the altar. Yeah. Uh, Now the altar is a large, so don't just think of a small table. Uh, The altar is quite a large um, uh, platform, raised platform that with stairs going up to it, Uh, and that's talking about the altar of burnt offering, uh, where they would have have had a fire there, and they sacrificed the animals and they put put them on the fire as an as an offering.
1: Yeah. And it's almost like a. And that
2: stood in front. Of the actual temple building, so it was within the temple courts, yes. uh, but it was uh, in front of the temple building.
1: Okay, so it's almost like a uh, a working butcher, and a yep. and a fire pit. That's right. So they know? do that
2: first, and then they set about laying the foundations of the actual uh, temple. It's it's unclear to me here. Are they actually are they talking here about the platform? Uh, because if you go to Jerusalem today, you'll see that that the temple mount that exists is an enormous platform. Yes. Now, that platform was the extended large version, the one that exists today, Yeah. Uh, that Herod the Great... Added on. Uh, added on in around 37 BC. Mm. Um, uh, Solomon Solomon's platform would have been about half that size, but uh, are they rebuilding that? Are mm. they rebuilding the platform? Is this what's happening here? Or yeah. is it the actual... Is it the actual foundation of the building
1: that they built that
2: housed the holy place and the most holy place? It could well have been. uh, It could well have been that. Um, Whatever the case, I'm unclear on that, and and, and I'm not sure if the text makes that clear. But whatever's the case, when they laid they laid the foundation, and um, some people are rejoicing, and other people are devastated. Yeah. Yeah because it suddenly becomes clear to them that this isn't anything like the glory of what we left no, behind no and, and who, to understand the and and actually says there it says that you, you couldn't tell beto- with with all of the noise who was weeping and who was rejoicing yeah cuz it was literally it was wonderful for some people yeah. but for other people it was an absolute tragedy those
1: those and, those born in the exile those young men yeah like the Ezra's, thinking, Oh, this is fantastic we are here let us the yeah. people and the people who remembered what they had lost and yeah. the stories of that's right. Solomon's temple and, and the yeah, Shekinah glory people, yeah, and everything yeah. they're like this they, they is were nothing. weeping what's going on here yeah. this
2: is and and I think I think that's interesting um because the people came back with very high hopes they they had been listening to Daniel and Ezekiel and um and they responded to that prophetic message, and very much the pr- pr- prophetic message of Isaiah uh, as well. And so they're coming back to be part of uh, an, a sort of a eschatological age. You know, yeah. th- th- this is this is the end times, yeah. And we're going to be fulfill- part of yeah, it. it. Yeah, yeah fulfillment this is The fulfilment of it. the prophecies that right. we've been reading. Okay, so this is you know this is the coming of the kingdom of God now, right now. You know, mm. and we're going to go back and. Um, you know, they, they had the prophecies, of uh, the visions of Ezekiel. I mean, think about that. Mm. You know, th- at the end of Ezekiel, you've got those chapters about the new temple and how glorious it's going to be. Um, not only that, but you've got the memory of the old temple. So this is, it's a bittersweet, it's a strange, bittersweet moment. And that actually carries through because um, they're, they're, as they start rebuilding uh, the temple, there's immediate opposition. Yeah. And the opposition, it just it's just says they're actually Israel's enemies. Uh it talks about Israel's enemies. Now these were actually the the people who were resettled by the Assyrians up in around Samaria in the northern kingdom. Mm. They were the remainders from in seven twenty two BC, the, the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom. Remember we're going back to the time when there was the two Yes. the, the f- twelve well, tribes of Sam- Israel Israel southern was the southern yeah, kingdom the yep. split in half. You've got the northern kingdom, ten tribes in the north. You've got the two tribes which sort of uh, really become one, you know, Judah and Benjamin. They really become Judah. Yep. They become known as the Jews. Yep. Um, and the northern kingdom is destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 and they take uh, the survivors, at least the leading survivors, into exile and they resettle. They replace um, Assyrians. In that northern kingdom, mm. and uh, and they actually uh, there's that incident with the lions. I don't know if you remember that from uh, Second Kings. I think it is where where they 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 feel that they need to to make sacrifices to the god of this land, and so mm. they you know they 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 try they find out how to do this. So they these people end up observing some kind of syncretistic yeah. religion. That's a mixture of the old and there still would Judaism have been, there would, still, still would have been, even, it,
1: even if it was just a few Jews, you know, both of the northern and the, there's a few remnants of bits yeah. and pieces sort of floating out there as well. Yeah, and so there's so there are hybrid, yeah, there are hybrid
2: people. Um, original Israelites have intermarried with the Assyrians. Yeah. The religion is this mixture between the two. Um, they, uh, they're, they're based around
1: Samaria, and they are called
2: the Samaritans.
1: Samaritan. And and they and again, let's not forget, they've observed history yeah of both they know what happened in the past with you know the whole history of yeah. Moses and the promised land and all the kings yeah. that have come through they've seen them turn their back they've seen them go away and now they're seeing them come back yeah and is there a sense that they're like we want to be a part of this yeah.
2: Uh, absolutely we, let's yeah, go. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but this is where it gets weird
2: yeah they, they they want to be a part of this and um but they they they're sort of disbarred from that because of the nature of the faith that they are practicing but also because they they are um, they've intermarried now this is an interesting issue yeah. because already uh, at the in the in those early chapters where the genealogies and it explains who went there's some curious um, statements that are made about people who weren't able to authorize their um uh, their uh, family tree. Yeah. So they weren't able to actually prove that they were descended from Israel. Yes. And so they weren't allowed to be part of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, this yeah. is, um, this sounds really exclusivist. And actually it was. Yeah. It was very exclusivist. Are,
1: are, are they being, are they being like a, a classic, a classic, um, you know, a classic thing that happens with families that move, you know, that immigrate to a country. is, uh, you know, that those older ones who may be born in another country, when they come to the new country, they assimilate faster into the new culture and want to be... Like, for example, you know, people come to Australia, they might have a couple of kids that were already born in whatever country they're coming from. They come here, they get made fun of for their accent, and within a year they're more Australian than any Australian. Yeah, yeah, they're they yeah. are right into Aussie culture. They're australian as. Yeah. Then the new ones that are bo- the born, the ones that are born over here, they hear the tales about the motherland. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they're very fascinated where they come from. Yeah. And they, And then when they go back to it, they're, they really want to take on their culture. Is it is it a thing where these guys who were born into exile have heard all the stories of all the dramas that have happened before and all the mm. sin that had happened before, and they're like, right, we're going to get the pendulum to swing right over here. We're going to have the we're going to have the you know the highest degree of law order and keeping yeah. and do everything right. I reckon.
2: I mean, that's that's an interesting perspective. I mean, I, I haven't really thought about that before, but I, but I think that may well be the case. I, mm. I, it's a it is, for example, it's very similar. I think to the situation in post-war Germany, where there was this pendulum swing uh, away from the abuses of the former mm. uh, age of the Third Reich, and um, uh, as you obviously, you know, as you, you can understand, uh, is that is that kind of thing happening here? We've got this new generation that are saying we are going to get it right this time. We are, and and actually. I think that certainly is happening. I mean, Mm. what the reasons are, whether they're being reactionary, um, I think they are being reactionary to some point because they have been absolutely inundated with these with these prophetic writings they they've they they come back with the books of Joshua right through to Kings, which is all about, you know, explaining that yep. this happened because of the idolatry, this happened, idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. Now, the interesting thing is from this point on, mm. you don't hear anything about idolatry. yes, it it actually, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Jewish people uh that they have other issues going on but idolatry isn't one of them no, no. you know you, you don't hear anything more it's like they are cured of this yeah um uh, well in, in that form yes and um so so I think there is certainly a reactionary thing going on there and part of that is this ethnic purity thing that we we are going to make sure that we remain distinct so it's not just exclusivism for the sake of being of, of exclusivism, yeah it's uh, a sense of purity that we're called to be distinct yeah and we we, we will not include um, anyone who has possibly intermarried. Mm-hmm. so it's why that they in those early chapters they're not going to include those who cannot prove that, that they are of pure Jewish uh, descent because people would have intermarried in Babylon mm. and and they don't want those people to be included. Now, intermarriage is going to be a big issue in the book of Ezra. Massive. Uh, It's going to be a big issue. And this is sort of laying the foundation for that, even at Mm. this early stage Mm. where it talks about them not being able to prove their descent from from Israel. And the reason for this has to do with the distinctness principle. Now, this is a small nation. So it's 42,000 that go back uh, in all. Mm. Um, And – This is a small nation state sandwiched in between enormous empires and uh, the the greatest imperative for them is to remain distinct. The moment we intermarry, we lose our our distinctness. And, of course, as I said, they came back armed with, uh, for for example, the books of kings, right? Mm -hmm. And the books of kings is really explaining to them how did they end up in captivity among the nations? Mm-hmm. Well, it all started with Solomon, didn't it? Because what did Solomon do? He intermarried with uh, with these other women and they drew him away to worship foreign gods. Mm. So these people are coming back to the land saying there is no way that, that we're going to um, do that, make that same mistake again mm. because mm. intermarriage and idolatry go hand in hand yeah. in their minds. Yes. Uh, and uh, – and in fact in the in all of the warnings they go together yeah, uh, yeah. in the deuteronomic warnings they all go together yeah. you intermarry oh. you'll end up in idolatry yeah the story of i mean the book of judges vindicates that certainly the story of solomon is a vindication i mean no one was more godly than solomon at the beginning and you know and and no one more blessed and yet because he intermarried as the story goes yeah. uh, he was drawn into idolatry this is the lesson that they're taking with them uh, in, into this new life.
1: Okay, here's, here's, here's a question. To get to, to zoom back out. Which is, sorry,
2: let me just interrupt. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is why, because I just need to root this back into what yeah. we're talking about here, which is why when the Samaritans say, hey, can we be a part of it? I mean, we would think, oh, come on. Like, yeah. let them be. Yeah. Let them jump on awesome. board, right? Is, is, isn't is it an open, you know, isn't it an open kingdom? Ah, uh, well, not yet. Yep. Not not really yet. You know yep. what I mean? It is going to be, but there's something that they need to get right and embody first, and that's the principle of distinctness. And now isn't quite
1: the time. Uh, okay, here's here's my radical question here, because we see like the overview of Ezra and Nehemiah. Are this, you know the basic three returns, and the and the and the leaders of each of these returns, and there's not really a happy ending for any of these return things. Like at the end of each of their periods, mm. it's like, oh, well, this sort of went all right, yeah. okay, but it wasn't great. Are they being too zealous? Are they really? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, yeah. are they? Are they? Are they taking it too far?
2: Okay. Uh, no, in that respect, I don't. They're, they're not taking it too far because they're taking that. And I think the way that the text of Ezra puts it is that they are getting it right because later in the book we're going to see that they, a later generation, gets it wrong. Yeah. So that generation. Man, they're really standing up for their faith. But the next generation, they're going to intermarry, and that's going to be a very big problem. And actually, the solution is going to be quite radical, and and I know a lot of people are going to struggle with that when you get to it. But this is where you need to hold on to how big an issue this was for these people. I mean, they are going to disappear. They're going to dissolve as a distinct entity if they intermarry. That's a fact. So the the intermarriage thing is a big spiritual issue for these people. Um, You're right. Uh, getting to your question, in that it's it's not really a happy ending in the sense that overall, throughout this period, people end up being disappointed. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, because all the things that they wanted to happen straight away aren't happening straight away. Now, all through this time, the prophets are saying, um, God's going to do His thing. Yeah. Uh, hang on there. Don't despise the day of small things. Yes, because that big things are going to grow from that. And and God is certainly, you know, look at the book of Zechariah and all of these amazing prophetic uh, uh, utterances and, and, and towards the future and Malachi promising uh, the Lord returning to his temple and so forth. Yeah. Um, but what happens, I mean, as soon as they lay, getting back to our story, as soon as they lay the foundation of the temple, I mean, that they fall on hard times. I mean, they're, they're, they're setting up their own lives. Yeah. They've got to rebuild towns. From scratch. And, from scratch, and they've got to replant crops, and, and there's so much work that they've got to do. And add on top of this the fact that Cyrus um, actually died, uh, and his successor, he died in 530, and his successor, Cambyses, um, was really a despotic ruler who really plundered his subjects, and, yeah. and particularly this area. Yeah. And uh, put heavy taxation on the people. So not only are th- have they got the challenge of setting up their lives, um, the, the the funds mm-hmm. that that are meant to come from the royal treasury, because that was, was what Cyrus yeah. promised to and, do,
1: and and they gave them, you know, they had quite a few funds to start it yeah, off. That's yeah, that's
2: right. So the, the the funds that he was going to, he was promising to fund the rebuilding, uh, at his death. Um, uh, you know that those that that supply stops, and, yeah. and so you know they're, they're on hard times here, and so naturally um, it gets the the project gets left. Now, yeah. I, I want you to imagine this: you've got the the foundation is laid, and it's going to sit there for fifteen years. Now. Virtually untouched for fifteen mm. years. Now you mm-hmm. think about what that's going to look like after fifteen. It's yeah. going to be overgrown with weeds yeah. and whatever. Yeah. It's going to be a sorry It'll sight. Be a tip. Yeah. yeah. So this is where Haggai, Zechariah come in, and their message is basically, guys, what priorities? Yeah. Like yes, you have been struggling, and but it's actually been much harder than it needs to be. Why? Look at you know that y- y- your crops have failed. You have. Uh, and their message is: You really haven't been trusting in God. You haven't been seeking first the kingdom of God, mm. uh, and then trusting that all these other things will be given to you as well. Um, and these prophets stir them up and get them back uh, onto the job. Mm. And um, finally, in five fifteen, uh, they complete the the temple. the temple. Now, the the city is still in ruins. Yes. By, by the way, at this date, well, so the that, city so- walls are still all in ruins but yeah, the so temple we, is completed by 515. So
1: we'll wrap up with this one and we're finishing off the first part of the return here with with the Zerubbabel and we're about to look at uh, I think in the readings here as we go forward we're about to have a look at Haggai uh Zechariah you know the the uh, the prophecies here over the next week. That's next week's reading. So this this week that we've just covered we've seen Zerubbabel, we've seen the 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 ups and downs of that first wave back and they were about about rebuilding the temple. The next part that we will see under Ezra in the next generation is about the community... And the Jewishness of the people, like the getting back yeah. to the Torah, getting back yeah, to the beliefs. That's right, yeah. And then finally, when Nehemiah arrives on the scene, he's all about the temple walls. Yeah, that's and, right, yeah. And, and Jerusalem itself.
2: Yeah, and, and look, you know, the situations change as well. And there's a remarkable section in there that's just worth one quick comment mm. where uh, it's actually um, Cambyses dies after eight, he only rules for eight years and Darius yes. uh, comes to the throne. Darius is one of his generals, actually, and he takes control of the empire. He's much more benevolent. Um, remember there's the story about how the Samaritans send a letter to Darius yes. saying, hey, look what these people are doing they're, you know, they're, they're they're starting their temple building again. This yeah. is at the behest of, um, of Haggai and Zechariah. And this is where you see a vindication of their prophecy. It's like, just trust God, do the job and see what happens. Yeah. And so at first it looks like it's getting worse because they oppose the building. They send a letter to Darius saying, hey, they're not allowed to do this he checks the records not only finds out that they are allowed to do it but that but that cyrus had promised all of these funds you know and this remember this is the law of the medes and the persians which can't be, be revoked, revoked yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. so so he says not only he writes back to them not only are they allowed to keep building yeah. but you you need to raise the funds for them actually to go towards the building and so it actually ends up uh, it, it ends up better for them yeah like the opposition actually serves to remind Darius of the promises that Cyrus had made. Yeah. And again, the funds that they needed. Once they start building, uh, the funds actually follow. Yeah. And this is a classic example of seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things will be given to you as well. It was a risk to start building. Where are we going to get the money? I mean, uh, but no matter, you know, they start building, opposition comes, opposition turns against them, and. Uh, Darius sends in the funds. Is that, it's an amazing story. Is
1: is that is that – I remember the reading that was happening uh, on Tuesday of this week, uh, which you had both a reference, you know, we read it through Ezra 4 and also then we flipped over to Matthew 6. You had a bit of Matthew 6. Is that the
2: uh, – Yeah, the, uh, that, that was really their, going back to their, um, you know, their resolve that they're not going to mix – they're not going to mix with these nations. We're not going to mix. They, they, they do things in a completely different way. I mean, they wanted to. They wanted to uh, adopt a completely distinct way of living, and mm. um, that reading from Matthew is the one that talks about you can't serve two masters mm. uh, at, at once. You can't serve two masters, and uh, you know, I think uh, the you know we. we we need to recognise that, as Christians, that that we have actually stepped into a completely distinct way of life. We are living for a purpose that is completely different, a completely different reason for living, for which most other people live. And um, uh, and that distinctness, actually, what is it that makes you different, really? The most imp- it's not you being more moral than other or, or it's not just that it's actually at a bigger level Like you are part of something bigger there is an overarching sense of purpose god's purpose that governs your life and your path and makes you completely distinct
1: from other people the book of ezra part one in the can for episode 23 if you've got any questions, you know what to do, head over to thrivetoday.com.au. Hey, that rhymed. I think I might have just come up with a jingle there. Uh, now, as I said last on the last episode, if you want to do something for us, a great thing that you could do is share this episode online. Why don't you make a post on Facebook? Let everybody know about the podcast. That would really help us a lot. Now, at the end of this show, what is usually the end, keep listening because a sneaky discussion that Matt and I had Uh, as we recorded, about the concept of Halloween. Is this holiday redeemable here in Australia? uh, If you're an American listener, please chime in. Head over to our Facebook group and let us know your thoughts. I would love to hear what you think about this. This has got nothing to do with the Thrive Daily Reading. It's just something that Matt and I have been talking about. But until next week, this has been DJ Payne. We'll see you then.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Thrive Deeper. We value all our listening community. If you are on Facebook, search and like Thrive Today page to get all of our latest updates. Our home on the internet is at thrivetoday.net.au. There you can subscribe to the Thrive Daily Reading Guide and contact us directly. That's at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next time, thrive.
1: Horse meat, horse racing. In the, no, no.
2: We've got some. We, we, my grandmother's family used to own our oh. uh, horses and race them.
1: Yeah, so okay, you got you. So you yeah, do have right that there. interest in there. Well, uh, are you preaching on Sunday? I am not. Ah, uh-huh. no. okay. It's because it's the eleventh of the eleventh. I noticed that. Ah. I wonder if anybody's going to do something because you know, at eleven o'clock on the eleventh 11th of eleventh, 11th, you're supposed to stop. That's a good a, point. Have a silence. I have to. I don't think anyone's <laughs> thought about that. I'll, I'll raise it. <laughs> I'll send i <a laughs> no, I'll send an emergency note to the uh, elders, um, for uh, you know, for this Sunday. Okay. Uh, who? Because at, at eleven o'clock. Yeah. Usually, now the pre-chasn started by eleven. In the main service? No,
2: no, that'll be uh, just before. So, but it, but it's right at the time when the when the anchor's getting up and
1: yeah, when the transit uh, when the car transition. the the, so the, the pa- whoever's whoever's preaching is zipping in between. <laughs> yeah,
2: it could be done.
1: Zipping in between, uh, into in between services.
2: Oh, and you get such a mixture of responses to those things anyway.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I like them.
2: Oh, uh, you know, it's like there's some people that absolutely think we should be doing others that think no, we should not be. A glorifying war in in any way, like
1: but remembering evil and remembering the uh, the you know remembering those who've who fought. I know it's a bit nationalistic or something. Yeah, but oh, there's not nothing wrong with. We, I mean, but that. we're in the we're reading Ezra, and I'm reading about the whole you know <laughs> nationalistic thing. Uh, I brought I brought up um, this is totally out there, totally out there. We'll start we'll start off on on a totally out there note. I brought up on the radio show, so I do. For those who don't know, I, I do breakfast radio, and do the breakfast radio show on a Christian radio station here in Geelong.
2: Yes, an award-winning announcer. Thank, right oh, thank you. Well, that's
1: a very loosey goosey. Award got a free we, uh, trip
2: to America. That's well, <laughs> what I call an award. <laughs>
1: well, the uh, it was not particularly for my announcing, though. You know. Anyway, we won't go there. Um, we, um, I brought up Halloween. Oh yeah. On Halloween. Because right. uh, because you know October we, we're recording this about a week after Halloween, October thirty first, and um, which is huge in America and and and
2: even like in churches in America uh, as well. They're, they're, oh, Halloween's coming up! Uh, like, and I've been to conservative churches. Yes. Halloween's coming up. We're gonna go out and trick or treat and
1: dress up. As, yeah, you know. <laughs> massive. And 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 for now to give you my. Now, the reason I brought it up, I mean, we're a Christian radio station, and our target market is a 35-year-old mum, you know? And so every 35-year-old mum that I know, whether in the church or out of the church, including my wife, who is a 39-year-old mum of three boys, number one issue around the house for the week leading up to Halloween Mm. is Halloween, you know, (laughs) is I've been invited to a party. I want to go trick-or-treating. How do I get candy? What's happening? With, it's getting like,
2: bigger. Is it, is it, is it, ma- I think it's getting bigger. Massively
1: so. We're about to turn the tide here in Australia, I think, about you know whether it, it being accepted as a mm. cultural thing, especially mm. for kids. That's a good thing? Well, that's what I brought up on the radio. I said, hey, let's talk about this. Mm. I think this is an issue that we could talk about. Oh, my goodness, the amount of complaints that oh. the radio station received. I might as well have gone on air and said, hey, gang, you know what's really cool these days? Satanism. You know, because the people rang up the fact – they didn't hear what I said. Yeah. They didn't hear the questions that I was asking. They just couldn't believe a Christian radio host was bringing up the concept of Halloween oh, or Halloween, however okay. you pronounce it. Um, and I I was like and – I, and I said, look, I've read all the history of, of Halloween, both Christian and pagan, and yeah. the roots of it going all the way back to – you know pretty much the you know a few hundred years after christ you know and both the christian and you know uh uh you know pagan responses over the over the centuries the church's responses in all different you know from rome from uh you know the british isles and then it you know transmuting around europe and then coming over to america we can talk all about that or we can just say it's something that's happening in our culture right today what how does we as christians respond to it what do we do And that that was my question. That's a fair enough question. And oh my, no, no, it was not fair enough questions. I I was, look, to be honest, when I
2: first went to America in 2003, and we were being hosted by, look, a fairly middle kind of evangelical a mega church. Yeah. And it was all it was all about Halloween. I mean yeah. it was the lead up to It was massive, you know. And they they were arranging this and that event for for Halloween. And the youth were doing something for Halloween. And and look, to be I was a bit shocked actually. So so maybe I'm I'm on the conservative yeah. side uh, because I thought, oh, isn't that like dressing up as witches yeah. and ghouls and 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 so for me it's always had that negative, sort of darker connotation that it's not um, but then at the same time my kids loved just dressing up and going out and getting lollies from our little our little we live a little township you know and all of the kids get together yeah. and uh, and they march around the township dressed up as really anything actually superheroes yeah, yeah superheroes yeah. whatever yeah. you know a giant your um, nephew was you know a giant panda exactly, uh, <laughs> exactly. you know so um, and, and and I guess I you know as a parent like I, I don't want to it, I don't want to exclude my kids and and or make a big thing about that, and because mm. it's just the kids, it's just a bit of fun yeah. uh, for the kids. Although I know, you know, people I mean, I, look, you know, my kids aren't going to join a satanic cult next week because they went out uh, trick or treating, trick or treating,
1: and 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 that's like I actually took it one step further. I said, I think it's such a pivotal moment in Australian culture that this concept of Halloween and what is it? Now, at the moment, we have, you know, the Woolworths and the Kmart and the Coles, the shopping centres going, ooh, Halloween. And we could stand up and go, actually, no, you know, what we're putting on is this great big fun dress-up thing and it has a real positive attitude and it's about great things and community and family and life and, you know, yes, it's, you know, we talk about death, but you know who conquered death? You know, have a great moment of that that concept totally foreign for a lot of Christians' minds because it's so drenched in paganism or Satanism, which I don't actually buy. In in,
2: in a way, yeah, look, in in a way I can understand that because it is uh, – and I suppose, you know, for people who want to take seriously some pretty dark and occult stuff that exists actually in our culture. I know it's not kind of mainstream, but it's out there and it's serious and people – Suffer as a lot, you know, more people than you, you know, we would believe, I think, uh, suffer forms of, you know, ritual abuse and yes. all sorts of terrible things. And so uh, I think they would want to say, no, actually, this is, that that's really serious. And actually, I think that is serious. It, it's just, I suppose the conversations about w- what is the connection between that and Halloween? Is it like and, a and feeding I, program to that? And, and I'm I think, sure it
1: is. Yeah, I do, I, well, okay, let's, let's assume the worst. All right, let's yeah. assume that the chick tracks that I used to, you know, yeah, yeah. hand out at Halloween in my church yeah. when I was raised in the most incredibly conservative church, let's consider that to be true. Let's consider yeah. that, you know, oh, here's a testimonial from an ex-witch about, you know, Halloween being the most sacred day of the year for them, you know, yeah. type of thing. Yeah. If Assume all of that to be true. We as at the church should say, that's nice. We're greater. God is greater. We're going to stand mm. up and redeem this. Yeah. I I really believe yeah, in that redemptive yeah. part of yeah. the church in culture. You know, yeah. being able to. It's not like oh, there's this bad thing and let's respond to it. I think we have a moment to really shape culture. Yeah. And yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, th- these are the topics I think we've at least got to be open to having a conversation about, and and to be more engagement than dis. I think be more engagement than disengagement mm. oriented. Yeah.
1: I'm still I, thinking through it myself. I, I'm, I'm 100% with <laughs> Because it's such you. a
2: new, I mean, it's still a new thing. In, yeah. for, well, for, you know, I didn't grow up with it. Um, well,
1: none of us did here in Australia. It yeah. is a new thing in Australia. And I know for all of our American listeners, even I think the UK is a few steps ahead yeah, of us Yeah, they're probably and us. wondering why we're struggling America, with so, exactly, the every, Yeah, I know some very conservative American Christians. Yeah. And when I first got to get to know them like 10 years ago, this is when my mind was rattled. Halloween was coming up, and I was expecting them to say, Oh, yeah, this is when we lock ourselves down or protest or guard off the witches, you know, type of thing, believing that, you know, believing every chick track to be true. There's a razor blade and an apple, and there's spells out every. every... And they're like, What are you talking about? This is our favorite holiday. This holiday is more important to us than Christmas. Mm. And I was like, Yeah. (laughs) What are you talking about? It is actually. And it is massive over there. And they told me all of the Christian the the way the way that they see it as a Christian holiday blew my mind. Yeah. Blew my mind. How the churches over there, especially the big churches, are really making cultural impacts in the the community and giving them a a spiritual, you know, alternative to the bad stuff. And I'm like, man, why don't we do that? Instead as churches over here, I find ourselves cowering and sort of just giving in, you know, to oh, okay. Oh, the kids want to do trick-or-treating. Oh, my my teenager's been invited to a party and, okay. And we just, we don't have an answer to it. We don't have a response other than, you know, give in. Yeah. We'll (laughs) we'll come up with all the answers next week. (laughs) And this ties into the Book of Ezra, such as oh boy okay this is officially going to be i'm going to cut this and put this as a, as a bit on the end of the podcast because it's got nothing to do with ezra if, you, if you're interested into the into the conversation of this i will start a a, a conversation over at uh, our facebook group uh which is groups slash thrive deeper and you can get into the conversation there please do not let me know how evil i am because i think we can redeem halloween all right Please don't. Oh, yeah, or well, maybe that's a safe place to get into an argument about it. All right, now on to Ezra. Yeah, on well, to Christian soldiers. <laughs> well, actually, actually, before we get into the book of Ezra, uh, we've got a one leftover question yeah, about.